Welcome to Kingdom.Think. Today we're covering 2 Kings 5, 6, Proverbs 12, and Galatians 1. So it's kind of exciting because the life of Elisha in the Old Testament is just amazing, and it's worth charting the whole life of Elisha and learn so many awesome things. And then in Proverbs, of course, amazing, powerful, full of wisdom. And then we are starting a new book of Galatians. So that's going to, we're going to start Galatians 1. So a lot to cover today and it's going to be fun. Um, Let's go ahead and what I like to do is just start off with Proverbs and just read Proverbs. So we are reading Proverbs 12. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Okay, this is the NIV version. I don't know how it is in other versions. So whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Good people obtain favor from the Lord, but he condemns those who devise wicked schemes. No one can establish through wickedness, but the righteous cannot be uprooted. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is is like decay in his bones. The plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the speech of the upright rescues them. The wicked are throwing, are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous stand firm. A person is praised according to their prudence, and one with a warped mind is despised. Better to be nobody and yet have a servant then pretend to be somebody and have no food. The righteous care for the needs of their animals, but the kind, the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. Hmm. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. The wicked desire the strongholds of evildoers, but the root of the righteous endures. Evildoers are trapped by their sinful talk, and so the innocent escape trouble. From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things, and the work of their hands brings them reward. So there's a lot in this chapter. So if you got to listen to it again, go for it or go and read it because Proverbs always has so much. And I am at verse 15. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. And I put double star on that one. I must have double starred it last year. But how powerful that is. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endures forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. No harm overtakes the righteous, but the wicked have their fill of trouble. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. The prudent keep their knowledge to themselves, but a fool's heart blurts out folly. (laughs) Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. The lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. In the way of of righteousness, there is life. Along that path, 
is immortality. That last verse, don't really understand. I mean, I kind of understand, but it's, it's like way deeper, maybe. Anyways, that's interesting how it ends this way. In the way of righteousness, there is life. Along that path is immortality. I'm assuming immortality, meaning living on forever because the spirit lives forever. A lot in that chapter, don't you think? That was Proverbs 12. Now we're starting Galatians. And what's going on with Galatians? So Barnabas and Paul, I think it's Paul. Paul's the author of, Paul the Apostle is the author of this book. And he's writing a letter. He's writing to the people of Galatians because they had already established the church. But I'm assuming that Paul and Barnabas left the church, a new church, group of people, Christ followers left them. I'm assuming that when he came back, he realized their their perspective of the gospel was skewed. They were distracted by other things. Um, and so he's coming to kind of like bring back the basics and also um, talk about his own character because they uh, surely they've heard bad things about Paul. Of course, there's going to be things about Paul. So he's coming to talk about, tell his story, as well as set them right on the true gospel. Okay. And um, yeah. So in the first chapter, I'm just going to read a bits and pieces because obviously he's just starting the letter, but he saw, he says, um, Paul an apostle sent not from men, not by man, but by Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatians, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself to our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and father to whom be glory forever and ever. Then he proceeds to say, there is no other gospel. Don't be confused. Um, verse seven, he says, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we are, we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And then he proceeds to say where the gospel came from and how what Paul is preaching came from God himself. And he gives his justification at the end of chapter one, which, I mean, you kind of have to go read it because he's just telling a story of how God how he was persecuting Christians or, and he was very legalistic and God set him straight, rescued him and is basically pouring the message through Paul. So when Paul's preaching, it's coming from God directly. That's what he's saying and giving evidence for it in chapter one of Galatians. So let's move on to second Kings five and six. Yeah. Five and six. Now, we are learning about Elisha. He's an amazing prophet. And he lives in Israel. It's weird because at one moment you think that the king of Israel likes him because he summons him for, you know, or, or Elisha is giving the king advice and it's, it's working. 
But then the next moment, the king hates him and wants him killed. So it's very confusing in chapters 5 and 6. But there's another... Okay, so it starts off with Naaman, who's the commander of the army, the king of Aram, which is not Israel, right? So this guy, he does, God has favor on him. Um, and, and you kind of wonder, why is God on the side of somebody who's not an, an Israelite or a country that's not from Israel? And I kind of was looking that up, trying to figure this out. Like, why would God show favor on this, this guy? Well... I didn't find a complete answer, but I do know that at this moment, they're not against Israel. So God is with this particular commander for this army. Okay. He has leprosy. And another weird thing is, oh my gosh, it tells a story about a girl that was kidnapped and then she became the servant to this man, Nahum, his wife. Now, that doesn't go into depth, but I do have to scratch my head saying, hello, did anyone say that wasn't right to kidnap this girl? It didn't go in deeper. I don't know, but you'll read that. Um, And so this girl who was an Israelite told her mistress, if if Nahum goes to the prophet in Israel, he'll be healed of that leprosy. Um, The only thing I can say is I do know that slavery, yes, although terrible and bad, in some ways, back in those days, you always have to think in context. We call it slavery, but in many ways, it protected people. It gave people provisions, you know, like shelter and food. And it also protected them from um, being out in the elements without food and shelter or from bad guys. So I don't know if that's the situation here. So you can think about that on your own. Um, but Naaman definitely went to the king of Israel. And he took him gifts, and the king of Israel said, why would you come here? But then Elisha said, hey, 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 send him my way. He sent message to the king. Elisha knows things. He's a pretty powerful prophet, and he knew the guy was there. He didn't have to go see him. He just knew. And he said, send the guy here, and he told the guy, or he didn't tell the guy directly. He told the guy, go dunk yourself in the Jordan River seven times, and you'll be healed of leprosy. The guy was kind of annoyed because he expected Elisha to come out and like do something more miraculous in the moment. But he did it anyway. He went and dunked himself and sure enough, he was healed. And then he went back to Elisha and said, you are true. The God of Israel is truly the only God. Amazing. And here, let me give you this silver and gifts. And Elisha says, no, no, take it away. Well, then he tried to insist, but no, he says, I don't want your gifts. He sent him away. But as he was leaving, I think it was Elisha's servant. Um, his name is Ge- Ge- Gehazi. Said, hey, we should get something for this. So he chases after this Naaman and said, my, my master Elisha really wants the gifts after all. So he says, sure, no problem. He gives him the gifts. And then the servant Gehazi went and hid it in his house. Then Elisha approached him and said, so where were you? Nowhere. I didn't go nowhere. He says, really? What about when the man gave you the the gifts? And then he said, at the end, he said, oh, the leprosy that was on that man is now on you. Oof. Naaman's leprosy, we cling to you and to your descendants forever. 
Yikes. That means, you know, I always hate it when they say your descendants will basically suffer too. So there's always curses that go down in generations. You can break curses, of course. Like the next descendants could say, no, I'm going to break this curse. Absolutely. But you can't deny the fact that curses go down generation after generation after generation. But you have to acknowledge it to be able to break it. Does this happen today? 100% yes. Yes, 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 and yes. So the decisions we make today are going to affect our descendants generation after generation. However, we can, through because Jesus came, died on the cross, we can approach him and break those curses. Just like blessings can be passed down, curses can be passed down. Happens today. Oh my goodness, that was only chapter five. So basically chapter six, um, you can read it. It's a simple story. Don't totally get this one. Um, although... There's a little war going against Israel. Oh my goodness. What? Um, something happened. The king of Israel, he, remember I said, sometimes he's mad at Elisha, then he's not mad at Elisha. Now he's mad at Elisha and he wants him killed. So he sends his guys to go kill Elisha. Of course, Elisha already knows it's coming. So he tells his people, his elders, he says, hey, this is what's going to happen. We're going to close the door. And they were kind of afraid, I assume. And Elisha says, don't be afraid. This is verse 18. Don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us is more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So you wonder, well, who were the horses and chariots? In the spirit realm, that just goes to show that there were angels fighting for Elisha. Again, that's still in this present day when we are right with God, that the angels in the spirit that you cannot see will fight your battles for you. Beautiful picture. Absolutely beautiful picture. So the en enemy approached and they were struck with blindness. And then Elisha escorted these, the enemy into the Israel area. And then he said, okay, now they're no longer blind. And they found themselves in the middle courts of Israel. Right? Crazy. So bad guys now in the enemy camp in Israel. So now, of course, I'm assuming the king of Israel would say, great, let's kill them all. But no, they did inquire of Elisha, what should we do? And Elisha says, feed them, take care of them, give them food and water and send them back to their home. I'm assuming the king did not like that. Wait a second. I might have got my story a little confused because that would be... When the king saw them, he said, Elisha, shall I kill them? Didn't I? Oh, goodness gracious. Yep, yep, yep. Two basic separate stories here that I am just kind of mixing up apologize for that you're gonna have to go back and get a little okay so i'm just gonna instead of trying to figure it out here but basically that's what happened there was the enemy elisha had escorted them into the israel's camp and then um the king said what should i do with him he said feed them send them on the way and he and then they he did he sent them on the way that's why the king of israel was actually mad at elisha 
And that's when he sent, the king of Israel sent his people to go kill Elisha. Didn't work, of course. And then there's another weird story. Oh, oh, why would the king of Israel send his bad, his guys to go kill Elisha? We assume because he didn't like the fact maybe that Elisha is getting all this recognition, that maybe he was jealous. Who knows? I'm not even sure. You're going to have to read it and get clarity on this. There's so much to unpack in this particular chapter. Um, but at the end of chapter 6, there's a strange famine in Samaria. And weird things are happening. There's a weird, weird story. Don't understand it. Don't even like it. About a, there's, peop, there's so much famine going on. Like people are starving. So there's these two women. And one woman says, let's kill your son and eat him today. And then tomorrow we'll kill my son and eat him so we don't starve. Craziness, right? So then the one woman, the two women kill the one son. Can't even comprehend this. They eat the son cannibalism then the next day they want to kill the the one woman wants to kill the other son well that woman didn't want to kill her son so she goes and hides her son oh my gosh what an ugly story that just in my opinion goes to show the 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 true heart of corruption and evil and twistedness these people's although they were trying to be good at some points their minds are so twisted um oh goodness yeah i i don't know what to think about that story it was disgusting um who knows i'm going to dig into that a little bit. or or maybe it's just designed to just show us the evilness and the twistedness I don't really know. Oh, I know. It's probably going to lead into the next chapter. So we're going to get that. Oh my goodness. I hope I didn't confuse you on that chapter. Go back and read chapter six and tell me what you think. Um, but that was Second Kings 5 and 6, Proverbs 12 and Galatians 1. Most importantly, you've got to get to know the character of Elisha. There's a lot that you're going to see some mirroring correlation between some of the things that Elisha did compared to some of the things that Jesus did. There's actually a mirror effect. However, Jesus always does it in a more climactic, in a more powerful way. So that's something to be looking for as you read the stories of Elisha. All right, have a great day and I will see you tomorrow.